Wanted to tonight continue in our study of Romans 8, picking up on the reading that Dana just shared with us. You know, it starts, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be real, revealed in us. And even in that first sentence of the passage is this hugely encouraging message. This really is a message of amazing uh, encouragement from the heavenlies that Paul, being the good pastor that he is, is giving to uh, a Roman church that probably, <clears throat> excuse me, is under a lot of pressure from the authorities, probably a lot of uh, challenges within the church. He spends a lot of time, a good portion of his letter is talking about how the Gentiles are to get along with the Jews and how each of them has their own particular way that God has brought them to himself. And neither way is preferential to the other in terms of giving somebody superior standing. So he's very cognizant of of the situation that's there. And he sent Romans to them ahead of his originally planned trip to go to Rome. And from there, he would go on to Spain. And this is why Romans as a book is so robust, because he's kind of laying out the theology that ordinarily he would have the opportunity to share if he were present, like he did in Ephesus. So that's a little bit of the, the background. But here he comes after having talked about that, you know, if you're living according to the flesh, you'll die. This is what we looked at last week. But if you live according to the spirit, you'll live. That could be a little, like, literally black and white, feel a little harsh. Now he is coming alongside his congregation, <clears throat> excuse me, with saying, recognizing that they are in the midst of some kind of sufferings, all manner of description of what these sufferings are. And yet he is pointing them, to, he's he's drawing their attention not to the middle of it per se and not to some specific ways that they can get through it, but more the destination of what lies ahead as they are faithfully relying on God to go through that. And that destination, if you will, is the glory that's not worth being, not anything that we're going through isn't worth even remotely comparing to what lies ahead. And, and that's a stunning comment when you think about it. And I wonder how it would have been received by people in Rome who were in the midst of all kinds of stuff that they were experiencing. Uh, John Stott in his commentary says that the suffering that's, you know, that's described here is not only the opposition that they faced it as a church, but also in the category of basic human frailty, uh, whether that's from uh, the physical you know, things that just happen, uh, you know, that happen to us as we grow older, you know, in our minds, we're always about age 30, but our bodies tell us otherwise as we continue to age. Uh, and then there's the moral part of it uh, that Paul has talked about in, in, in Romans 7, where, you know, we just don't do the things that we know we should be doing uh, to the extent that we know we're called to do. And so if we're really honest with ourselves, there's a whole host of things that morally we, we think, you know, we're thinking and we know those aren't pleasing God or we're doing and we know those don't please God. And so when he talks about sufferings here, he's talking about all that. It's kind of a big stew of stuff that afflicts us, things without and things within us. And so that's the suffering that's being in, envisioned. And he, know, he knows it's difficult. He knows it's challenging. And this is why he has a pastoral word in the passage that we're reading. So as we journey through this briefly, uh, I, I just encourage each of us to think of something that might be in that suffering category. 
can be large, it can be small, it can be prolonged, it can be just arrived, whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do, to just kind of keep in mind and see how, as we talk through this, how he is using Paul's encouragement to encourage each of us. And so, as I said, with that suffering, uh, we have that in mind, but then Paul is saying, this is not even worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed in us. And what is the, you know, th that's an amazing statement when you think about it. What is, what kind of glory is he talking about? What kind of, uh, what, what could that possibly mean? I think glory, I don't know about your experience. My experience is it's the kind of word that you just sort of pass by. You're like, okay, it's probably, it's good. I know that. It's luminous typically. It's, we're in heaven. We're, we, you know, we, we, we're with a God that is an unapproachable light. We're with the Lord who is radiant. There's something that is wonderful about that. Who doesn't want to be in glory? And then we skip on and move on to, okay, well, how do I get through the mess that I'm experiencing now? But Paul really wants us to pause and to understand that. And so glory does mean a sense of God's presence, you know, a sense of unutterable splendor of God, says Stott, eternal, immortal, incorruptible. This idea of seeing the God much more fully than we can ever see him now, uh, but our heart cries out for that. We, you know, the the words that are used later on in this passage are the whole creation is groaning for this. We are groaning for our adoption. The groaning is likened to a, uh, a woman being in labor pains. You know, I, I've been able to see that once in my life, and, uh, it's, and some of you have experienced that. So it's, um, it, there's, there's an imminence to that. There's like, I know that soon this world, with all its corruption, with all its fallenness, it, Paul says it's subject to decay, it's enslaved, it's, it's not the place that we know we were made for. I think that's where this groaning is coming from. We know we don't really belong here. It's the only home we've known, but somehow we know that there's a better place that we are made to be, and that better place is in the presence of God. And so this is where that sense of, I'm, I don't, I don't want to keep living here. I don't want to keep living in the, in the same way. I know I want to get to that destination. And then in this kind of amazing sort of poetic thing, he then personifies all of creation as saying creation itself is groaning. Creation realizes it's broken in certain ways. It, it's fallen. It's subject to decay and corruption. The other aspects of creation, whether it's animals or trees or whatever, they, they also experience death. And, the, and death isn't part of God's original plan. Life is part of his original plan. Creation is part of his original plan. And so when Paul was talking about being in glory, he's talking about a time where we will be recreated, a new heaven and a new earth. We will see God face to face. We will see Jesus as he is. Uh, when we think of glory, we may think of just being in the presence of God, which is a great shorthand for being in glory. But it is more than that. Uh, C.S. Lewis was in his book called The Weight of Glory, which it's actually an essay, but uh, you can buy the book called The Weight of Glory, which is that essay and others that are included. And he says that the, that the glory that's being talked about, he thought it was just the presence of God, but some of the other uh, writers and divines of centuries past said it's more than that. It's, it's, it's a sense of God as Father who wants his children to, 
to do well and to use the gifts and the people that they are in this life that they might continue to build the kingdom for the glory, for the full reveal in the next life. And Lewis was a little taken aback. He was a little stunned. And this is why he writes that glory is such a weight. Like, who can bear that? But then he says, you know, I look in Scripture, and there's other indications of what God has. He says the saints are, they're going to judge angels. They're going to rule over cities. They're going to do other things that, that seem to speak to a new heaven and a new earth. And so he, yes, it's the presence of God, but it's, it's more than that. And so here's a quote that I, I, that I think captures what Lewis is talking about. Um, he says, it's written that we shall stand before God. We'll, we'll be inspected. But the promise of glory is the promise, uh, and it's not possible without the work of Christ, that any of us who really chooses, we will actually survive that examination before God. We will actually find his approval. We shall please God. Now, to please God is the real ingredient in divine happiness. Do you ever think about actually the Lord being happy with you for what you're doing in, from a kingdom perspective? I need to think about that more. I'm more like just trying to avoid him being unhappy with me. But he, as we do that, that sense of responding to him, the real ingredient of divine happiness is to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted as an artist delights in his work or as a father delights in his son or daughter. And that seems impossible. It seems to be a weight or a burden of glory that our hearts can hardly sustain or believe. And yet so it is. And I just love that description of that glory of, of being in God's presence and having him say that the specific things that he put in each of us, uh, that we persevered in, in doing so that we would glorify him, that we would become more like Christ, that we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. All these are meant to encourage us. And this is what Paul is drawing the attention of the Romans to, to be encouraged by that that parental accolade, if you will, that parental delight. And just the possibility that God would delight in us uh, is hugely, I think, encouraging. It, it allows us to, to have the hope that's being expressed because then Paul goes on to, he kind of comes back to real time. Like, I'm lifting your heart and your mind into this place of glory that we would be encouraged. And then he comes back and says, okay, um, but the whole creation has been groaning for the pains of childbirth. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. So between now, where we are, and eternity with Christ, where we will be, is this hope, this liminal place, this realization that we're still in this realm of decay and bondage to sin and death. But we are called forward to a place where sin has given way to eternal life and Death has given way to eternal life, and bondage has given way to freedom. And he says that's the place of hope that we want to be. And in Romans 5, he had told us earlier, hope does not disappoint. This isn't like a forlorn hope or a foolish hope or like just taking a flyer. This is a hope that is fueled by the Spirit of God. It is he, his Spirit in us, that allows us to have the hope that we need to press on in this challenging time in the midst of the, whatever sufferings that you're thinking about now that we're facing and allows us to do so so that we will hear that parental accolade as, as C.S. Lewis talks about it. The final thing that Paul tells us is an exhortation to be patient, if you will. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, 
we wait for it patiently. And patiently is the recognition that I'm still groaning for resolution. I still want, I know I'm made for something other than what I'm experiencing. I know that God has more ministry for me to do in this life. I know that there's more blessing to experience. I know that that, that often comes through the way of challenge and difficulty. I, I hear that. And I'm going to be patient as God unfolds his plan for me, knowing that he is with me at all times and every step of the way. And that's how Paul encourages the saints in Rome with all that they were going through. And I pray that's how he encourages us in whatever we're experiencing today.